It seems like I was tempting fate when I first announced Echoes was returning two weeks ago. As you probably know, wildfires have been ravaging the West Coast these past few weeks, and many have had to evacuate. I was one of those people. Thankfully, my place is fine, but it's been a stressful two weeks, and I just haven't had the time or energy to write the next episode of Echoes. I am still committed to finishing this season, it just might need a little more time. Thanks so much for your patience. In the meantime, I hope you enjoy the first of what I'm calling side quests. One-shot stories not set in the world of Exesar, with varying genres and themes. Our first side quest is a story called The Last Gift, which I think is very timely given our current climate situation. Thanks so much for listening. The next episode of Echoes will, hopefully, be out October 4th. See you then. Elderblade Productions. This is an Echoes of Exesar side quest. Number one, the last gift. forgot how surprising a chill can be. As I step out the door, the white winds steal my breath with a single bite. The sole of my oxide boots dig deep into the virgin snow. My crozier gleams against the dawning sun. I close the door slowly. It has a whiny creak. I can still hear Glenda in the bedroom mumbling nonsense in her sleep. Sometimes when I couldn't sleep, I would listen to her and whisper back as if she were talking to me. Would I could do that now. As the door shuts, she speaks something clear. I tell myself it's the clack of the bolt. As my footsteps bleed away from our quiet cabin, though, Her words follow me. Come back. I cinch the strings on my cloak as tight as they'll go. Breath is all I hear, mine and the poles. The mighty ice winds roar through this chiseled kingdom like the voice of God. Other men have claimed to find the North Pole. Men of science, men of absolutes. Men who tell their children there's no such thing as magic. I was like them, once. Before the old one found me. Before he took me here, gave me my sight and my charge. But now, I see the signs. At my home, where bear cubs drown and seals kick for days to find land. And in the world whole, where more and more children yearn for gifts I cannot give them. I see signs of the prophecy, and I wish, more than anything, that there was no such thing as magic.
Through gaping valleys I walk. Down stoic hills I slip. Across the breadth of the pole. I am halted on occasion. First is a visit from Jack, who appears to me as a specter in the glimmer of an ice wall. His shimmering figure greets me with a toothy grin. I listen to him as he begs, barters, and threatens. He never was a stout ally. Once my glory covered the world whole, he boasts in a voice of crackling frost. It was so beautiful. Now I am old, and these southern brats steal from me every chance they get. It isn't their time, I tell him. There's still a chance for them to see. They'll never know, he sneers. And even if they did, they'll never be grateful. Never enough to change. His gleaming form shifts inside the ice. He shows me pictures. Hunger and disease and war. I admit, in my too long life, I've seen too many of those. What do you want from me? I can't save them. Nor should you, Jack's blurry face returns. That's my point. They could have done it themselves. They made their choice. Let them live with it. Soon, a cloud passes overhead, depriving Jack of his sheen. He vanishes and I leave him to his sulking. The next is an expected delay. Eldrick finds me, as I knew he would. I'm boiling some milk over a campfire when I see him, a scarlet comet streaking across a silver sky. He's brought the buck. I sigh, pouring two cups of cocoa for when he lands. He just stares at me a while. His doll-like face is puffy and red from the flight, but his dancing green eyes are dim with anger. The buck stares, too, but with a somber confusion. It's an animal's sadness, that simple emptiness they feel when a master leaves. I break the silence. Who told you? Memory? Eldrick squeaks. Then I went to thought. It took some pressing, but he confirmed it. Eldrick was slight, even for an elf. But his devotion always made him seem much larger. The old one cautioned me on using aids. The birds would suffice, he said. Eldrick always proved him wrong. I left in secret because I knew many would try to stop me but Eldrick would be the one to chase me down. For that, I am grateful. A man like me needs to be challenged at times. This doesn't have to be you, Eldrick says. One of his sons could do it, or another follower. I shake my head.
I was given the charge. You gave me this, remember? I thumped the crozier on the frozen dirt. It must be me, my friend, and I must do it discreetly. Massing an army will only tip our enemy off. But you'll die, Eldrick yells. The buck yelps in agreement, the swirling ball on his nose blushing a dour cranberry shade. So far from the old one's power, how will you survive? There have to be other ways. The world snake will eat you for a snack. I laugh and slap my belly. <laughs> More than a snack, I'd hope. Eldrick's stone face kills my laughter. We sit in silence for a moment, letting the fire sing us a crackling serenade. After a time, I give him a sharp look. If I don't go, that'll be it. The day is approaching. What will come should he rise early? Eldrick sniffs as he wrestles back a tear. He looks as though I'd just snuffed out the fire. He tries a few more feeble protests, then falls silent. I embrace him, and we stay like that for a long time. Nothing more was said when we parted ways. What could be said? I watched them fly, the buck's red nose painting a fiery arc through the air. He believes in me now, and what I'm doing. For the first time since I set out, though, I begin to truly feel nervous. I hitch a ride across a seaside glade on the back of a mother polar bear. As I struggle to hold my grip around her thick neck, I ponder the task ahead of me. What will happen if I fail? If I succeed? The prophecy is unstoppable. I know that now. The old one knew it too, so long ago. He was so calm when he told me that first day when the halls of Valaskjaf rattled with my protests. It can't be, I yelled at him. It doesn't have to be. The world will find its way. Their children will show them. Aye, one day, Sinterklaas, boomed the Allfather. Yet what change can come without cause? No rivers run upstream. We argued for days, he and I, until the old man started coughing, and I fell silent. He coughed for days and weeks, and silent I stayed. On that last night, I stood at his bedside, and he pressed the crozier into my hands. We met eyes for the last time, and I knew he was right. I told him so but I don't think he heard me. Yes, a change must happen. But what change? Dearest Jack sees a new world whole, full of innocence and light and ice that never melts. He sees the Southerners vanish, a nightmare of gas and plastic from which we'll awaken. Eldrick is similarly blind. He knows there will be pain, Perhaps the children will be spared. 
Perhaps they can live in the pole with us. We could show them how to make the toys, he said. It's true. The world sheds its skin. Such a slow thing, and so subtle. Few cultures have truly seen it coming. Yet subconsciously, many have feared it. Now, the world burns. A fever to sweat out the virus of pollution. The ice melts. The globe loses its luster. And still they deny it. Still they spread their fear and lies to distract from what needs to be done. Unfortunately, fear and lies are Loki's diet. I jolt forward as my snowy white mount slides to a halt and growls. The sea is before us. Clusters of floating ice prelude the blue expanse. Through the clouds, a pillar of emerald light strikes the cluster. The polar winds go quiet, and sudden waves of heat begin to pour out from the emerald pillar. I dismount the polar bear. I'm already sweating. I take off my cloak and throw it to the ground. Stroking the mother bear's neck, I thank her for her burden and urge her to run fast. Her eyes have pity, but she takes heed. The ice shelf rumbles from her pounding long after she disappears. I face the green light and watch it grow wider and wider. Soon it's the size of a mountain covering the entire plain. The heat grows with maddening strength. My boots begin to slip on the fast-melting ice. It's all I can do to keep from passing out. The pillar brightens until it is opaque. There's a thundering splash, and the outline of something massive rises just beyond the emerald veil. A blunt, scaled nose with two slits, fangs the size of mountains, eyes the color of molten gold. The head of the serpent lowers, and three smaller silhouettes walk down the bridge of its nose. I suck in the hot air and grip the crozier. It's time. The first figure steps onto the nearest chunk of floating ice. It's Loki. I've never actually seen him before, but from the old one's descriptions, the eyes of jet, the pallid, fish-like skin, the hide-and-bone regalia covering his frail body. He is unmistakable. I was prepared for him to take another form, a seal, or perhaps an old woman. Then again, I suppose it makes sense. Why hide on his big day? He takes one look at me, standing on the icy shore, his gaze is like a thousand deaths. He grins. If he is caught off guard by my presence, he hides it well. Ah, he sighs. My first. I cry out suddenly. I feel something twisting around inside my head, slithering like an inky black eel. It is excruciating but I force myself to keep standing. 
It is a lie, I tell myself. Speak, human, says the liesmith, in a broken, bass voice dragged from the bottom of the ocean. I would know your name. The eels relax enough to allow me speech. My mouth opens slowly. My breath is halting. I I am Nicholas of Myra, saint of children and sailors. The liesmith's head tilts slightly. His jet-black orbs narrow, but still he smiles. Saint Nicholas? Oh, you're that delightful human legend, aren't you? He sees you in your sleeping. <laughs> Wish I'd thought of that one. The other silhouettes join him on the chunk of ice. One is a wolf, by the most awful stretch of the word. At least sixfold my size. His fur is the color of blood tipped with black stiff and layered like plates of armor. His tail is a spiked flail on a chain. Gobs of black spit fly from his mouth. He has bone-white eyes, which lock onto me. The other is a dead woman, tall as a tree. Her cloudy eyes scan her surroundings with a detached interest. Skin flakes off of her with every move and I can see yellow, cracked bones and long, useless organs through windows in her flesh. What wisps of hair she has are the color of algae, and she wears a long dress made of seaweed. Loki motions to the three hellish monsters behind him. My children. Hell, my eldest, and my two sons, Fenrir and the world snake, Jormungandr. He faces me and places his hands on his chest. And I am Loki. We're here to devour your world. Is that meat? Fenrir breaks past his father, howling in my direction. Ooh, he looks meaty, father. I want him. <sighs> Hell replies, Your sister's right. Mind your manners, Loki retorts. Besides, you're supposed to eat the All-Father later. By the looks of this one, He'll fill you up for a week. I grit my teeth, push my voice out despite the pain. Actually, that's why I'm here. Odin's dead. God, again? Loki stamps the ground. What is it with him? It's like narcolepsy. Then he looks at me, annoyed. Wait, how do you know about that? Suddenly, the eels tighten in my head again. My skull feels like a fruit being squeezed for its last drop of juice. 
A warmness crawls down my nose and ears. I'm bleeding. My knees falter, and I lean on the crozier for support. I draw another breath and holler out my reply. Because I am his ward! The eels loosen their grip. Loki clasps his hands and touches his lips. Fenrir howls jovially. Hell bounces slightly. The world snake just stares. He's here to fill our stockings with coal! Fenrir sneers. Hell agrees. Settle down, children, Loki says, though he's laughing himself. Courage deserves respect, even if it is misguided. But if you are his ward, Nicholas, where is your army? We must have a proper Ragnarok. There won't be a Ragnarok today, I declare. It's not due for thousands of years. You know that. You're capitalizing on the fear of the world whole. You see the devastation, and you think you can use it to fast-track the apocalypse. This world must change. I understand that. But it is we who must change it, not you. This time, it feels like my head is filling with fire. I grip my bloodied ears and scream dropping the crozier as I fall to my knees. I want to die. Indeed, I feel like I should be dead. But it's a lie, I remind myself. Loki won't let me. Not yet. That's what I'm counting on. Your quest is folly, Loki says. I see into your mind. Even you have doubts. The world's pain grows every year. Think of the change you're denying them. We can even spare the little ones, since you care so much. They can live with us in gaudy Valaxjalf once this is all over. But seeing you here in my way, doesn't make me feel very charitable. It makes me want to feed them all to Fenrir. He's quite the appetite. He lets me go. I gasped for breath, choking on thick, dry air. My blood is spilling in streams, mixing with the flowing rapids of the ice shelf. There is a silence while I catch my breath. I see the children of the world whole in my mind's eye. I hear my wife Glenda's parting words to me. Come back. I look at the liesmith, who stands grinning in the emerald light against a backdrop of nightmarish beasts. He is waiting for me to repent, to throw my arms at his feet, cry and beg for forgiveness. But I have other plans. I start with my arms, place them on the icy shelf, push myself up. 
I command my legs to carry me the rest of the way. My slippery hands fumble for the crozier and finally grab hold. I hold it high, eyes cast to the slate gray swirls above. I slam the crozier down. There's a rumble above, like the sound of the moon itself splitting. An arc of lightning blasts from the clouds and connects with the crozier. It blinds everything. When it clears, I am no longer holding a crozier. I am holding Gungnir, the swaying one. My enemies are stunned at the transformed spear, even Jormungandr. That is good, because as soon as I can see again, I throw it at him. Before the sleigh, before the sight, before even the pole, the old one's first gift was knowledge. By night I would take notes in a study in Gladsheim, where thought and memory chirped lessons at me. By day, though, I threw spears with the Allfather. He said one day I would be good enough to pierce the fabric of time and space. Until then, I would work on piercing thicker things. The name Swaying One is a bit ironic, because Gungnir never misses. The magic of the world whole is in it. I speak to it as it flies, command it to cut through the plains. In and out, like a sewing needle it weaves, breaking inconceivable speeds. It pops back into this plane, just in time to bury itself between the sick, tainted yellow eyes of Jormungandr. The world snake throws its head back, and a hiss like the grinding of souls fills the air. I reach out my hand, and with another crisp pop, Gungnir is back in my grasp. The emerald light fades, and the abomination sinks back into the abyss. Loki and his remaining children watch their kin sink. Fenrir howls mournfully, and hell shambles around, in what I can only assume is despair. Loki, gritting his teeth, smacks both of them on the head. Shut up, you babies! It's not like this is the first time he's been murdered! He turns and smiles at me again, though now it's a bit more strained. Well, that's more like it. A little struggle. Nothing better to warm the blood. What say we have at it then, hmm? I smile back and shake my head. That's all right. Resurrection is a nasty business from what I hear. I'll spare you the trouble. For the first time, Loki looks genuinely shocked. But you killed little Yormi. Yes, well, he'll shake it off. You gods like to do that. That's why your idea of paradise is a place where you get to kill each other over and over. No wonder you're so eager for Ragnarok. It's your idea of Christmas. And it has to happen, I know that. But you're going to have to wait your turn. There's billions of people here. The Southerners. And lots of them are little Lokis and Hells and Jormungandrs, I'll grant you that. But the trouble is, right now, 
death's a bit more of a problem for them. I bend down and pick up my cloak, cinching it tight around me. Immediately I'm sweating again. But I pay it no mind. I have to focus on what's coming next. Loki throws his arms into the air. Well, it sounds like you've stumped yourself. If you can't keep us dead, how do you mean to stop us? I smack the spear on the ground, and in a flash, it's a crozier again. I draw a breath, and then I cry. Ho! The echo forms cracks the size of chasms in the ice. My clothes, my skin, my very soul start rippling as time and space congeal around me. I blink and find myself standing behind the lie smith. Before they know what happened, I loop the end of my crozier around Hell's neck. Loki and Fenrir about face. I grab Loki by the scruff of his neck and pull both him and Hell towards me. The three of us crash into Fenrir's flank. Easy, I say. I'm going home with you. I close my eyes. Now I begin to beg. Forgive me, Glenda. Our bodies ripple. The light of this world closes around us. The world I've loved and protected for so long. I know what will happen. They will fight me to come back. And I will hold for as long as I can. Long enough for Odin to wake up, I hope. In the end, it may not matter. The people of this world may never change. But if they can, they have another day, another year, another century. It's up to them now. It's up to the children. Please, make them see. I take a final look at the world whole. And then, so simply, we are gone. Echoes of Exeser is written, produced, and performed by Nick Walker. Sound effects courtesy of GarageBand. Outro song by Brittany Rea, also known as Music Speak, on SoundCloud. For questions or comments, email me at echoesofexeser at gmail.com.